How do you create something that lasts? Not just for 15 minutes or even for a year, but for a lifetime. Today, we as marketers are so focused on what's next. We create content, ship it, and move on to the next project without even blinking an eye. Is there another way? A way to create perennial sellers? Our guest today says that there is, and he knows just how to do it. On the one hand, marketing is very simple. It's, you know, finding where your customers are and giving them things that they want. And then on the other hand, I think it's it's much harder in practice, right? Um, I think a lot of people do what everyone else is doing, and then they wonder why they don't break through the noise. That's Ryan Holiday, media strategist, writer, and previously the director of marketing for American Apparel. He's also the author of six books on everything from philosophy to marketing strategy, including his brand new release, Perennial Seller. Ryan is talking about breaking through the noise to make your marketing impactful and long-lasting. The problem is, if it were easy, everyone would do it. It isn't easy, but luckily for us, Ryan has a history of breaking through the noise. I'm Haley Griffiths, and this is The Science of Social Media, a podcast by Buffer, your weekly sandbox for social media stories, insights, experimentation, and inspiration. Let's talk a bit more about breaking through the noise, because as marketers, that's a challenge we're always going to face. Cultivating a skill set where we can overcome that challenge for various products or campaigns is a huge asset for us. So what are some of the most common mistakes we're making in getting there? Well, one of the really dangerous parts of the internet is that because there's been so many of these sort of viral success stories where some totally unknown person put up this random thing that got millions of, of viewers, or because some some underappreciated thing from the past suddenly is made relevant again or whatever, um, we, we tend to think that the internet is this meritocracy when really it's much more random than that. So people buy into this idea of, you know, if you build it, they will come. So creatives tend to think, okay, my job is just to make this amazing thing. And if I do that, if I just make the best thing that I'm possibly capable of making, the rest will take care of itself. And so this idea of, you know, if you build it, they will come ends up meaning that there's a lot of really undiscovered great stuff out there. And, and to me, that's, that's a shame. This is very common in the social media world. And here's one more mistake we social media marketers can work on. I've done, I've written many blog posts and it's, several of those blog posts have turned into books, right? Um, and those, those blog posts, I don't remember how many tweets they got when they came out or how many comments they got, right? Like there's, there's, there's this immediacy bias in what we do on the internet because we have the availability of so many metrics, right? Um, so you put something out there and then if it doesn't immediately get a response from the rabble online, people are willing to write it off. And it's crazy to me, for instance, in the Hollywood model that you might spend literally a half decade working on a movie and then you judge whether it's a success or not on how it does in its opening weekend. Even though, even though we know that many of the greatest movies took time to develop an audience, and by the way, we don't even care how they did in the opening. Like, 
Does anyone care that that Star Wars was beaten by Smokey and the Bandit? You know, it's opening weekend. Does anyone know how many copies The Great Gatsby sold in its first week? Like these these metrics become irrelevant over time. And when I even look at the sales of my own books, um, just a few years out, the first week accounts for, you know, less than one, uh, almost always less than 10 percent of the total sales. So it's really just th that opening week or when you launch something is really just the sort of mad dash at the start of a marathon. And so it's really important that people are are expanding their timeline and giving themselves some some time to develop. So with Perennial Seller, it, it came out of the gate great. You know, it debuted on the, the national bestseller list. Um, I'm I'm glad that it's selling well. But I'm not telling myself that's a success. The the success for me is the response that I'm getting from really influential writers and creators that I know that are telling me, hey, I think you nailed something here. Because to me, that's a sign that the book will trend well over time. If the early adopters, I'm interested in how the early adopters are reacting to something, less so the raw number of people that are adopt or, or, are reacting to something. So, is there a solution for us? How do we avoid immediacy bias and thinking the internet is a meritocracy? So when I think about my marketing philosophy, I'm always, I'm gravitating towards what they call blue oceans, where there's no competition. I want to do the things that people haven't done before that are going to break through the noise. And then I'm also looking for really big ROI. I don't want to be battling it out with other people. And I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to be in a system where I'm having to spend a lot to make just a little bit more than what I spent, if that makes sense. Like, so advertising um, tends to be a, a margins game, right? You know, you're spending a million dollars to make uh, 1 million and $1,000 back. I, that's not what excites me as a human being or what I'm interested in doing. No competition does sound pretty great to me. You know, there's this saying, uh, you can't judge a book by its cover. Well, of course you can. That's why books have covers, right? That's the whole purpose of the cover is that so it will get your attention and make you think, oh, that looks good. I should check it out. And marketing is really that in a nutshell, right? Um, it's saying, oh, that looks interesting. I'm going to check that out instead of this other thing. And, you know, it's it's also worth pointing out that with the Internet now and, and with the immense amount of content that's out in the world, not only are you competing with all the people who upload YouTube videos, you know, it's hundreds of hours of video are uploaded every minute, uh, hundreds of thousands of books are published. You know, there's never been more television shows or movies being made than there are this year. There's never been more companies being started. Um, not only are you competing with all the new stuff, but it's important to realize that there's literally millions of people in this country who have never seen Breaking Bad yet or an episode of The Wire or um, they haven't even discovered your favorite band yet, um, the one that you've been listening to for 10 years. So so you're not only competing against all the other people out there doing stuff right now, but all the great stuff from the past, literally from thousands of years ago. And so marketing is the way that you say, hey, pick me, pick me, instead of all these other things, which are really good too. Now, that's not to discourage you at all. It's a great shot of reality on how real the competition is today. It's a great beginning on how marketing is really about less of the same thing and more about breaking through the noise. But what about breaking through the noise consistently and for a long time? How do you make marketing that lasts? Only time will tell, 
but continuing to try is something Ryan definitely advocates for. There's no hack to building, you know, those 1,000 true fans, as Kevin Kelly says. It, it, it really does take a lot of time because you're, you're developing a relationship of trust um, and, and, and reciprocity. And you can really only do that by providing value over and over again. Andrew Chen has talked about how he shops essay topics on Twitter. So if he's tweeting something and it's getting a response from interesting people, he goes, oh, that might be something worth exploring. And and it's important to note that that's not like a foolproof method. I, I, I like what Woody Allen talks about when he says that quantity is a way to get to quality. And so what he means by that is, you know, Woody Allen makes basically a movie every year. Some of those movies are forgettable. Some of those movies are iconic. Um, time will tell also whether the one he made last year or the year before, what camp that's probably going to be in. And so I think luck is a part of this too. And so one of the ways that you increase your luck is by taking more at bats. And so I, I definitely encourage people to be prolific. I, I, I'm not saying you should just churn out stuff. You should take your time. You should do a good job. But, but continuing to make and interact and work with your fans in all these different uh, mediums is a way to to get a sense of what your audience likes. It's a, uh, it, it gives you, you know, chances to find inspiration and new ideas. And then I think over time, it also um, increases your odds of, of really making something amazing. I would say, you know, um, The Obstacles Away was my third book, and that's the one that really started to take off. But I'm not sure that if I... I I don't think if I could go back in time, I would have said, well, I'm not going to waste my time with these other two books. One, because they weren't waste of time. They, they, they did well and they, they each had their own respective audience. But I don't think the third book would have been as good if I hadn't taken the time and learned the lessons that I learned on one and two. And most importantly, acquired the fans who were the first readers of book number three. Social media is an asset here and can help in so many ways. But we also have to remember to focus on things that have a certain air of timelessness to them that will last for more than microseconds, but for years. Ryan experienced this firsthand at American Apparel and has applied these lessons to all areas of marketing. I was always blown away that our most popular video that we made on our YouTube account was how to replace the strings in a hooded sweatshirt. Um, and, and the reason was, well, one, we sold millions and millions of those sweatshirts and so did lots of other companies. And that it was it was a problem that people were always having and always looking for a solution to. So I think one of the things that people um, people like, for instance, one way to build a Twitter account might be to constantly talk about breaking news um, and, uh, you know, that's exhausting. Uh you have to really be on top of it. You have to know your stuff, but you could build an account really quickly. But you've also trained an audience that only likes you because you talk about breaking news. Meanwhile, like on, on my Twitter account, which, you know, I think when I started using Buffer, I probably had like 50,000 followers. It's now like 200,000 followers. And I really haven't done anything but open a Buffer account and I upload my favorite quotes in it, usually in blocks of like 100. Um, and I've done this for two or three years now. And it just tweets these sort of timeless, interesting quotes, some of which I agree with, some of which have made me think. Um, 
And it's this sort of the, the truth is people are only temporarily interested in news about Donald Trump, but people are always interested in quotes from Aristotle or from Shakespeare because these go to some sort of timeless uh, part of, of the human experience. And so I just I, I try to urge people, yeah, not to chase the brand new thing, not to try to be the loudest voice over a thousand other voices, but to really um, focus, as Jeff Bezos says, focus on the things that don't change. I think you're always going to have better luck there. It sounds easy to focus on the things that don't change. But for us in social media, things practically change by the hour. So what should we do? There are new social networks out all the time, and the existing social networks roll out new features what feels like daily. In the world of ever-changing social media, how do we focus on the things that don't change? You know, I think a better example is someone like Casey Neistat, who'd been on YouTube for a long time, um, but it was only in maybe 2015 that he starts doing a vlog. But it's that he built this, you know, lots of people had been doing vlogs for a very long time. Um, but it was when he came in and did it better than anyone else that it had that huge impact. And so I think it's worth saying, look, am I trying to be first here for the sake of being first? And am I running the risk that I'm going to be the only person on this island in a few months? Um, or do I have a legitimate shot of being either the best or being a unique sort of value additive presence here? Like, I don't really get Snapchat. And and it seems like uh, I, I see lots of people are on it. And I, I would I would readily admit that I missed the boat and I probably missed meeting some new fans and and sales by not jumping on that platform. But I do understand Instagram and uh, I feel like I can do good stuff there. So that's where I'm focusing my energy. I don't think you want to be mediocre on every platform. I think it's better to double down on the ones that you understand and the ones that you can do good stuff on. Let's jump into some more specific strategies for how to incorporate these elements of timelessness and marketing that lasts into our own marketing, starting with strategy number one, which is word of mouth. At the end of the day, almost all successful products are not successful because they have really great advertisements or because, um, you know, lots of celebrities are interested in them. They're successful because they're good and other people recommend them at junctures in their life. And nowhere is this more true than books. You know, I, I talk to lots of authors as part of my company and they'll go, you know, uh, I have a $20,000 advertising budget. Like, what should I do? And this is, let, let's say it's their first book. And I'll go, look, you read way more than the average person. Tell me what was the last book that you purchased because you saw an ad for it. And, and they're like, I don't remember. And then I go, okay, so think about your last, the last books that you've read. How did you find out about them? They're like, well, you know, someone I knew told me about it. And so, you know, really what your marketing is designed to do then, in my opinion, is to acquire those first customers so those customers can tell other customers. And so I think I got an email this morning from someone who had bought my book because through a friend of a friend, I'd sent them a free copy of the book. And so to me, that's by by sending out one free copy, I reached 
not only not only did I make a sale, so I you know netted even, but then I reached all of their followers. And then as they read the book and like it, hopefully you know it will continue. And maybe if I did my job right as an author, um, this book will stick with them and be a book they recommend repeatedly over time. So I think it's worth um, I, I think it's worth really thinking about how this thing you've made is going to be discovered and working on marketing that drives that word of mouth. It's very hard. It's very hard to get people to pay for something that they know nothing about, that they've never used before. And so I, I, I definitely urge people on their products to go, how are you bringing your first customers through the door um, to find out about it, to recommend it to other people? If you have a huge fan base, you know they don't need to give the new Star Wars movie away for free. Lots of people already know about it. They're anticipating it, but most of us are not in that position. On to the second strategy that we're talking about today, which is doing something unexpected or surprising. Because as Ryan talks about, there's usually a higher return doing that than with advertising. I always ask people, you know, if you stopped your advertising, would anyone notice? And other than your bottom line, obviously, right? And and the answer is usually uh, no, of course not, because nobody likes your advertisements, right? The reason you have to pay for advertisements is that the public doesn't want to see this. And and the truth is, on top of that, that most ads are so boring that you have to pay more to get anyone to look at them, right? So it's like your average bank commercial probably has to spend more money than your average PETA commercial, right? You know, PETA's ad is famously banned from the Super Bowl every year. And they like it that way. They know that by being banned from the Super Bowl, uh, more people are going to see it online than if they ever were in the Super Bowl. There's a, the hack or the secret is to just not be boring, to do something risky and cool and to, to say something unique and special. I mean, again, I'm, I'm probably sounding like a Buffer fanboy, but Buffer's, Buffer's decision to run itself in a transparent way, to talk about you know, what, how the salaries of the employees are public and to talk about your revenues and all the things that the company has done, probably got it far more attention in traditional media than, you know, a buffer advertising campaign ever would have um, or sponsoring a booth at South by Southwest or something. So I just encourage people to go out and do things and take risks because that's that's a much better way to stand out and to get attention. And, you know, again, I'm I just mentioned the the, the buffer thing. And that was like three or four years ago. I mean, I know you're still doing it, but it, it's not as if, you know, the company in Seattle that decided to pay all its employees $70,000 a year, um, obviously that was a very expensive decision to do, but he's still getting attention for it. He's still being written about in articles, even though it's, it's quite dated at this point because it's just that unique. Now here, what you might be thinking is that it sounds really nice and quotable to be doing something risky, but that at the end of the day, that can be a really big hurdle to overcome. And honestly, sometimes we're all a little bit scared to take some of these risks. What if people get angry? But according to Ryan, we should be worrying about something else entirely. On the one hand, yeah, the people I talk to are like, well, what if I get in trouble? What if everyone gets angry? And, and what I usually tell them is like, honestly, that's not what I would be afraid of. What I would be afraid of is the much more likely scenario, which is that still nobody cares, right? Like, you know, be, p- pissing people off or getting a, a lot of attention, uh, controversial attention, um, is a good problem to have. It's a much better problem to have than nobody caring. And so for that reason, 
it's it's somewhat rare, right? So I encourage people to take those risks because you know the alternative is usually obscurity, and that's a much worse place to be in. But but also because um, the truth is, pe- even if people are mad on the internet, they don't actually care, right? And you can see pretty quickly. Um, how your actual customers are, are affected. You know, I would see at American Apparel, you know, we, we might piss off Jezebel or a feminist blog or something, but sales would be steady or go up. And then you realize that, oh, the people that are really mad about this, they're not our customers anyway, <laughs> right? So, um, you know, when, when uh, you know, I've, I've written controversial articles over the years, and I tend to find that the people who are most mad, I'm never hearing from a longtime fan who who's corresponded with me for months or years saying, I'm so disappointed, how can you write this? It's usually a total stranger who's never heard of me who's all angry, right? And it really, so it really has nothing to do with me and my work. They're just that kind of person that gets angry. So when you know who your audience is, then it helps you sort of navigate that environment where you've pissed off someone who's not your audience. It actually means it's a good thing because now they're talking about you and now you're getting attention. I love that line about it not being your audience that is really upset. And to that end, Ryan also mentions that controversy is actually a good strategy and is our third strategy for making marketing that lasts. I have a somewhat expansive definition of controversy. I think being provocative is generally good. I'm not saying that Mary's yoga studio should go, you know, get involved in, you know, alt-right politics, you know, just to just to get some attention. What you're doing has to be consistent with who you are. It has to be consistent with what you believe in. It should be ethical and reasonable and all of these things. But I also wouldn't be afraid. Like, look, I wrote um, I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago about why I don't think entrepreneurs should write books because I'm really tired of these people sort of doing these books as business cards. They don't actually care about what they're saying. They're just phoning it in. They're just trying to get attention. And so I wrote this article and and it 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 made some people mad. Some people really agreed. Um, but I didn't become a writer to not say what I think for fear of hurting people's feelings, particularly feelings of people that I don't particularly respect, right? So it's it's worth knowing, you know, who your who your audience is and who you're speaking to and as long as you're good with them, that's what really matters. To recap quickly, the first strategy we talked about is creating word of mouth by getting your first customers to share whatever it is you're marketing. The second is doing something unexpected or surprising, like giving away free copies of a book to get the loyal followers on board who will then share your product. And the final strategy is doing something controversial, within limits of course, to get people talking about you. If you leave with anything today, it's that we as marketers need to shift our focus from the short term towards timeless topics and long-lasting or perennial marketing. This is the best way to make sure that our work breaks through the noise, not for a day or for a year, but for generations to come. Imagine that. I'm Haley Griffiths, and this is The Science of Social Media, a podcast by Buffer, your weekly sandbox for social media stories, insights, experimentation, and inspiration. Thank you so much for joining us. See you next Monday. Thank you.